Introducing the D'Addario Autolock, made with locking strap ends for an easy-to-use, clip-on system. When you're done, just pull the latch and slide it off. Keep your guitar on lock with the Dario Auto Lock. That's Nick Perry, folks, waking up the dead <laughs> with this beautiful firebird and his magical plane. Nick, how you doing? I'm doing really well, man. Thank you for having me, and thank you for the kind words. Oh, that was fantastic. I, I, not only were you working the instrument, but you were you're bringing out the ghost with that feedback. Ah, I do what I can. <laughs> I think that's a perfect place to start because uh, if anyone's familiar with you, which I'm sure they are, you're an avid gearhead. But you're also flying that Firebird flag, and you've done that ever since uh, your days in Silvertide. I, I know you with the black one, so tell me about the, the cherry one you got here. Sure. Um, that is a true statement. I, I got into birds pretty early. Big Johnny Winter fan. And uh, so from an early age, I was definitely uh, rocking the bird. But then I went a long period of time without one. And this is actually a pretty recent acquisition. This is a 1976. Uh, bicentennial Firebird, Gibson Firebird. And um, like I said, I, I got it not too long ago, but it was one of those situations where I, as, as I was putting my hand into the case to, to pick it up, before it was even in my lap, plugged in or anything, the moment I had my hand on the neck, I knew it, it was my guitar. And it was like, I don't know, like the Harry Potter thing where the wand chooses you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The guitar chose me. And it was one of those things. For me, a, a guitar is just always about how it feels in your hands, more than anything, you know? Mm -hmm. Even more than the sound. Is it, it has to feel right. It has to be like an extension of you. It's such an intimate thing. And when you're playing and when you're performing and when you're writing, at least from my perspective, I never really want to be thinking about playing or writing. I just want to be doing it, if that makes sense. So the guitar mm -hmm. has to be like this kind of symbiotic, you know, relationship with the player, I think. And so from the moment that I put it in my hand, I was like, yeah, this is my guitar. So uh, from that moment, this has just been in my hands ever since. 
Uh, I acquired it after the, the new album was done, so it's not on the new album, but I would imagine it's going to be on pretty much everything going forward for quite a while. Have you done anything to the guitar to make it uh, more your own, or is it still as it came out of the case? Very good question. Um, actually, pretty much nothing is original except for the wood, the neck and the body, oh. which is beautiful and unbroken and, and in good shape, and the pick art is original, but everything else um, has been changed. When, when it came to me, it, it, it was actually like rescued. Uh, the gentleman who sold it to me, uh, Jason Roberts, who is a friend, he ended up rescuing the guitar um, and got it pretty much stripped down and bare. So uh, funny enough, he had put Tyson Tone pickups in it. And as you'll see with the rest of my guitars, I play Tyson Tone pickups pretty much exclusively. So they're in all my guitars. It already had them in there. And he wound these Firebird pickups to be basically, basically like mini PAFs, which was right up my alley. So that yeah. was another thing when he told me about the shape that the guitar was in that made me want to um, dive in. But typically, my when I get a guitar, um, again, you know, there are exceptions. Sometimes, sometimes guitars are just so perfect as is, you never want to mess with it ever. But mm -hmm. I'm a compulsive modder and a tweaker, and a lot of times I'm always looking for those little percentage points of making something potentially better. So kind of my go-to routine is that I do Tyson Tone pickups, uh, pigtail hardware, and I try to put as much vintage uh, electronics in caps. So for example, these have real Sprock uh, uh, capacitors from the 50s in it, and I do that with all my guitars. I, I you know, again, I'm just tweaking, and sometimes if I think like, okay, the neck is a little dark, I'll raise the value of the uh, volume uh, pot. So let's say if it's a 480 and it's a little dark, you can put a 520 in there, get a little bit of extra brightness. Um, geeky stuff like that that most people don't care about, but uh, to me it's part of the experience. And I like to say that I turn over every stone on every guitar until, you know, perhaps it's, it's their best voice that's speaking. And that's what I'm looking for. And, and usually when it's done, I'm like, okay, I know it's done. And then I'm not going to touch it. <laughs> what uh, strings do you typically run on this Firebird and kind of across all the guitars we'll see today? It, it depends on tuning. Uh, I'm a big GHS guy. I've been using GHS strings since I was a teenager. Uh, GHS boomers are my jam. And uh, so anytime I'm in standard tuning, which is 99% of the time, um, I'm running 10 to 46 GHS boomers. If I go down to E flat for any reason, which is rare, or if I'm in D, I've got one guitar that's a whole step down, uh, then I would jump up to 11 to 50 um, but still the same GHS boomers. Gotcha. Is there anything else you want to say or show us about this guitar, or should we move on to the next one? Well, I've got quite a few I want to show you, so let's move on. I think you've heard this let's in the intro, it. and um, yeah. So I figured maybe we should go to Bella. Uh, a lot of people have asked about this guitar. This is probably the guitar I've had the longest since I started. Um, how long, yeah, when did you have it and how long, have, I guess, have you owned it? I, I bought it new in 2002, so it was as the Silvertide kind of machine was sorting, uh, starting to, you know, pick up speed. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, it, was, it was a brand new guitar, and I, I estimate that I probably played somewhere around 2,000 or more shows with this guitar. Um, I wow. used it all through Silvertide. 
Perry Farrell, uh, a lot of other, you know, one-off gigs and stuff that I've done. It's on the new record a ton. It's so beat up. I don't know if you can see. Yeah. You know, even though it's a 2002, well, let's start with this. It's a 57 reissue from 2002. So despite what people may think, it's not a 68. It came with gold hardware. I changed it to nickel at some point in the uh, story. But uh, so it's a solid mahogany body with a mahogany top, which is the specs per, fifth, per 1957. So, uh, but it was brand new, but just through sheer loving abuse, you know, <laughs> uh, it's gotten pretty beat and it actually feels, you know, it, I played quite a few vintage Les Pauls. Um, it really, it fits into that just because of how much it's worn. It's only 20 years, but it's got like 50 years worth of wear. Even the binding from, from what I'm looking through in the camera even looks like not worn, but definitely discolored through through love and care. By that I mean plain. And a lot of smoky bars. <laughs> so what what about this guitar has been like the thing that you haven't parted or deviated from? Why is it still in your uh, stock? Well, number one, it's just a great Les Paul custom. I always thought that they were really classy guitars. Like I just think the headstock number one is just the most beautiful Gibson headstock of all time. It's got the big, uh, you know. Perloid inlay, uh, the badge or whatever it's called. Um, it's just a beautiful guitar, but this happens to be a really great one, and it's a great weight for a Les Paul Custom. Usually I find that they're pretty heavy. This is uh, somewhere around, I think, 8.9 pounds, which is nice and light for this guitar. So mm -hmm. it just has a great weight, and it's something about the sound and the mid-range that is very focused for recording. There's no doubt it's just the best-sounding guitar for recording, because the the place that the mid-range is placed in the frequency spectrum is is right where you would want it so um it fits into a mix really well without you know fixing the mix kind of thing i don't prescribe to that so i like to get the sound going in as the sound do you think that's because of the the mahogany on mahogany because a lot of les pauls i know not the customs but the, the a lot of les pauls are with the maple caps sometimes and that kind of brightens it up because Typically, the mahogany on mahogany is a darker guitar. Is that uh, are the pickups maybe compensating for that, or is it just a sweet piece of wood? Uh, you know, I think it's a, everything you said is true, and I think it's just a sweet piece of wood. I, I, I think that some of, sometimes these guitars are a little dark because of the solid mahogany. Um, this particular one, um, it just sounds really great, and especially with a Marshall that could be leaning a little bright sometimes if you're not careful. Something about it just helps, I think, to balance it out and. Um, and it's, again, just, I think it's the right piece of wood. Again, I've got the Tyson Tone pickups in here. And all the humbuckers I use are the Precious and Grace set that he offers. They're all, they're all unpotted, just like the originals. Um, you know, they're really airy and open. And, um, again, if, you know, it takes time. It takes tweaking. I've had probably 30 different pots in this, in this guitar, many different caps over the years, just trying to get the right combination of things. And again, sometimes guitars just have it right out of the box. Sometimes you got to tweak your way there because it's not science. It's not yeah. um, exact. And, you know, you pick up a 59 Les Paul, something in the air, something in the water, whatever was happening, that those guitars are consistently like mind blowing, you know. But uh, in my experience, as you go through the decades, you know, there are guitars that are like that, that just like wow out of the box. But sometimes you need to, again, tweak until you find it, all the parts working together. You know, so I think the great tone from an instrument is all of the things just 
working together. I don't think it's really one specific part. Like, oh, I changed the bridge and now it's perfect. You know, it's, um, although if that was the missing link, then yes. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it could be the thing. Yeah. So I experiment a lot and, and I'm really into it and I'm really into working on guitars and I have always been since I was young. I've got a workshop. Should we hear it? Yeah. Let's, yes. Let's hear it. Given that introduction. much of this guitar was on the new record that that uh, it'll be out next week but by the time this airs it'll be out uh, on Sun Via um, I would say you know I would say probably a third of the record was played with this guitar nice um, just a great great guitar now would you say it's more lend itself to like rhythm tracks or is it all across uh, solos you know, what's interesting, it's a good question. Typically for me, when I go into a song, I make the decision early in the process that this is a Les Paul song, or this is a Strat song, or this is an SG song, this is a whatever song. <clears throat> and typically I'll use that one guitar for most of the track, whether it's rhythm, lead, overdubs, <clears throat> excuse me. So that, the, so that the song has a sound, if that makes sense. I know there's mm -hmm. the more popular school of thought is that you use different guitars for different layers, and so there's like a, you know, a separation. And I'm not saying that that doesn't work. That does very well. But for my own personal style, I like having each song have like a sound of a guitar. So typically when I'm using this, like there's a song on the record called Let You Know, I'm using it for everything that you're hearing, you know. Um, i trying to think of what other song. Um, you know, that's a really great song. Let you know is that that sparse guitar, Spartan psychedelic vibe where it's kind of just the guitar and let everything else is backing it up. Thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. That that's a really rare track. I, it's the first time in my career, career I've ever done a song like that where the there's one guitar track through the entire song. Just one. There's no overdubs. There's no. So maybe that wasn't the best example of what we're talking about. But um, Regardless, now that we're talking about it, that song is just this guitar, one performance that I played um, to a click, and wasn't even intending it for it to be the keeper, you know. But it just it, I improved my way through it. Even the whole solo thing was all improv, one take, and I got it down. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think, like I don't know that I'm going to beat that. <laughs> so <laughs> then, as a band, we decided, well, how are we going to build this up? And and so that song, as opposed to other more traditional processes where you're you know recording bass drums guitar at once and you're building overdubs on top of it there's multiple layers and such this was completely done in reverse where it was the guitar that was the main thing and everybody was playing to the guitar um, and as you know from the song it doesn't really have drums in it so it's 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 really more of this like atmospheric kind of um you know, tune that's a slow burn. You get a little bit of drums at the end, but it's a slow burn yeah. kind of psychedelic journey. Hell yeah, man. Uh, let's keep moving down the line. I'm curious, as you grab the next guitar, uh, what one of these 
have these been used? I know that you did some work for the Gibson TV stuff that people are seeing in videos. I know your, your music is on that too. Yes, it's been a big honor and a wonderful um, experience to do to score the documentary process called The Process, which is for people who don't know, it's Gibson's um, basically start to finish. They tell the story of how the guitars go from chunks of wood to finish guitars you know, in the store. And um, it's been a wonderful, it's been challenging. It's been, it's been great just because of the volume. You know, I've recorded 75 pieces of original music for it, um, wow. which is just a lot, you know. But yes, this guitar has been featured quite a bit. Uh, the SG has been featured quite a bit, which I'll talk about in a second. And also another guitar, and I don't know if we want to do this or include this or not, but I, I'm going to send you guys some pictures of a guitar that's not with me at the moment, but it's a really important guitar. She's in the shop. Her name is Duck, and it's a 59 uh, custom shop reissue Les Paul that was made in 2018. And that guitar has also played a super important part in the record, in the process. I'll send you a picture that you can put on the screen. Um, it's just a beautiful 59, and when I got it, I couldn't believe how great it was. I've played, I've had the honor of playing a number of, you know, legit 59, 60s, 58s. And when I got that guitar, I just couldn't believe how great it was. And that's- Don't you have a 58 as well? A 58 reissue? I don't. Or no, I, I thought you had a 58 that you had the, like, it was named the joint. Ah, man, you've done some work. Okay, I did, I did. Okay. I've had a number of guitars over the years, man, and the truth is I, I ended up downsizing my collection quite a bit and um, to make sure that I got this record done the way I wanted to have it done, I, I sold a lot of gear. Uh, to pay for studio time so I could keep the control so I'd own my own masters and get to do it the way I've always wanted to do it with no artistic compromises which for me at this point in my life is a really big deal so I sold a ton of gear um, and you know one day I'll either buy it back or I'll buy different stuff uh, but I'm actually enjoying having a Spartan rig you know handful of guitars couple amps few pedals and it's really liberating it's really uh, you know, help me to just focus on playing and uh, writing and performing and doing what it is that I feel is like the most important part, you know? I think it's very easy to get lost in the gear thing. And, and I'm still into it, there's no doubt. But uh, for, for this moment in time, having less definitely feels like more. Yeah, you're still in enough gear to be on uh, Rig Rundown, but yeah, I, I hear you. So this is... Um, this is the SG. My daughter named this guitar the Cat Squirrel. I told her she had to pick the name of a Cream song um, because this is a 64 reissue, same type of vibe that Clapton had um, in his time with Cream, George Harrison as well. And this is a custom shop 64 reissue. Another example of Gibson just hitting it out of the park in the last few years. The guitar is just incredible. Uh, so I gave her a list of Cream songs. I said, pick one. Um, and she picked the Cat Squirrel. So that's, this is the Cat Squirrel. That's awesome. But I, I pretty much gave this the same treatment, the Tyson Tone pickups, Pigtail Bridge, uh, vintage, you know, 1950s caps. Uh, the decision to switch from the uh, Vibrola and go to the Bigsby is something that a lot of people have asked about. And to be honest, it had to do with the break angle of the strings. I, I, I thought that the uh, vibrola was nice. I really liked the way it felt. But the break angle over the bridge um, 
was it was shallow for my taste and i felt like i would get more sustain out of the guitar if i could increase that break angle so i went to a bigsby b7 and so now that break angle is real i don't know if you can see it but that's it's real steep and you know again i got more sustain out of it tweaking as i go making little changes here and there but it stays in tune really well and the Bigsby's, I mean, what's not to love about a Bigsby? It's just, it's such a great um, tool. As I say, it's an expressive tool at your disposal. Totally. And I don't use it for crazy. I'm not doing whammy bar stuff. It's like, you know, I use it for vibrato. You know, just a little bit of vibrato goes a long way. And uh, especially with a little delay and reverb, you know, and you can kind of get that, uh, you know, that far out thing. <laughs> Now, I think it's important to bring up because I see it and it's catching my eye and I should have done it earlier is that I see that you have an orange coily cable. Uh, obviously, that, there's probably a reason behind this specific cable because you're a tone guy. So what, what's going on there? You're a wise man. There's a reason behind everything, my friend. There's a reason behind everything. <laughs> so yeah, the orange one I use at home and, and in the studio, I've got a white one that I use on stage, which is even longer, but they're lava cables and they're called the retro coil. And I started working with Lava Cable almost 10 years ago. Uh, they're a fantastic company, Mark Stoddard, a uh, terrific guy who started the company. And I, I mean, obviously, it's got vibe because it's a retro coil cable, you know? But I found that compared to other ones, this one does seem to let a little bit more high end through. That being said, it has a sound and it has a color. And every part, because my rig is so stripped down, it's like, you know, people ask me like, well, what about this? What about that? It's like, well, the truth is I don't want to change too much. Like one little change I can hear. So it's like if I went to a different cable right now, it would be too much high end because my gear is set. My settings are set on my amp, on my pedals. Everything is set, you know, based on what is in the equation. So the, this cable for sure is playing a role. And, and it is, no matter what, going to be a little bit darker. But that's factored into the equation. On the opposite end of that, once I get into my board, every cable that's in the board and the cable that goes back out to the reverb tank and from the reverb tank to the amp they are also lava cables but they're called elc for extremely low capacitance i find that th those cables let as you know as much of the high end through as you would want that's pleasing at least so with that combination of letting as much as through as possible uh, with this coil on the front end it just seems to be a really nice balance for my rig at least gotcha it, it's funny how whether it's it, it's thought of ahead of time or during the process of s switching through gears that uh it's all part of like you're saying it's like a recipe like when you're cooking like one little thing changes it and then it changes the recipe which might be a better recipe but it's everything is impacting it that's such a great way to put it that's exactly true and it's you know and we'll, maybe we'll talk about it more when we start talking about pedals but it's like you know this could apply here as well it's not only like what it does when it's working, but also like what does it do when it's not working, you know? And I remember hearing something about Eric Johnson talking about, you know, his biggest challenge is just making all the pedals play nice together when they're off. And I totally get it because the impedance is a thing. And obviously, you know, bypass, uh, buffered bypass versus 
true bypass versus a buffered signal, right? They all sound different and they have an effect on everything downstream. So a big thing for me is what does all this gear do when it's off, you know? Then if it works, then what does it sound like when it's on? But to have that both work out, you know, you'd be surprised how many great pedals I've had or great little parts of the equation that on their own are, are wonderful, but do they play along with everything else? And sometimes the answer is no, and I've had to let things go because of that, you know, because of the greater good. I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I think anyone that's watching this, and myself included, we're all crazy. We're crazy about guitar. Okay, good. <laughs> What's the next guitar you got? Um, as long as, let, let's finish out with the Gibsons, and then I'll show you one more very interesting one. So this is an acoustic I've been playing a lot uh, that I've named Colitas from the uh, Hotel California lyric. And it's just a great modern acoustic guitar. Um, most of the record was done with a vintage um, Gibson 1962 LG3, which is a small body acoustic guitar. Personally, my favorite acoustic guitar ever made. Just again, it's the way it sits in the mix. As a recording engineer and producer, I pay attention to this stuff. And with that guitar, I don't need to run a high pass, a low pass. You just record the guitar, nice mic on the 12th fret, and it's done. You know, it just sits in the mix exactly the way you want it. And so that guitar was incredible. Again, I sold that guitar to pay for some studio time to finish the record. Um, but the fine folks at Gibson were nice enough to send this. this. is a 2019 Gibson Hummingbird. And as far as new guitars go, it's just fantastic. Like I said, they're doing a great job. And out of the box, it sounded pretty, pretty awesome. I did change uh, the saddle, the uh, end pins, and the nut to bone. And I added these stickers uh, of the palm trees just because this kind of always reminded me when I would look at it like a sunset. Well, it's a good ode to the Hotel California uh, like actual cover. Totally. That's what I was thinking, which is why I named it Colitas, which is a lyric from, from the tune. So, uh, like I said, it's just a great workhorse guitar. It sounds great. I've been using it on all the promo, you know, all the radio station promo I'm doing now. So it's getting a lot of use, and it's just a great sounding guitar, you know? I don't know if this will work, but... Uh... <laughs> I don't know if that'll work. We'll see in post. We'll see. <laughs> but it sounds good through the headphones. All right, so one more guitar. And this is just a very cool piece. I'm, I'm super into custom guitars as well because they're custom guitars. They're cool. But I've, I've, got a, Man. I've got a great friend named Robert Mondell from Forked River, New Jersey. And he's been a friend of mine for almost, I would say, at least 15 years. He's a custom guitar builder. And when I say custom guitar, I mean he doesn't do the same guitar twice. So if you like something that someone else is playing and you're like, hey, I'd like something like that, you know, he can get you close, but he does literally everything by hand. There's no jigs and whatever. It's like all hand done, which I think is super cool. So um, this is a guitar that we named Hanzo uh, with an ode to Kill Bill the Hattori Hanzo sword, because we call this a sword of tone. 
it's just a really cool guitar. It's a solid, it's, it's, it's just a beast. It's a solid chunk of mahogany. Every single part of it is mahogany. And, um, you know, it kind of has a, you know, an old nod to like a Ventures kind of surf guitar vibe. Yeah, I was gonna say like the Moserite. Yeah, totally. And uh, I'm huge in the surf music and uh, spaghetti westerns and Tarantino and uh, Sergio Leone and all that stuff. And, and um, so it's just a great guitar. And again, Tyson Tone pickups, these are his um, slightly underwound P90s. Uh, but as you never, you know, everyone knows P90s are really pretty aggressive, more aggressive than people think. So underwound is still definitely got some balls. Yeah. Uh, it's got a giant baseball bat neck. I mean, that's something we didn't talk about, but I, I have large hands and I prefer all my guitars to have, you know, decent sized necks just because if I'm playing for hours at a time, it, it's less fatigue. And a byproduct of that, some people think is more wood, more tone. I don't know, but... It's just my personal preference. Um, so this is definitely like a boat or. <laughs> but this, this particular guitar, and it's funny the way these things work. Uh, some guitars take altered tunings better than other. And in my experience, sometimes longer scale, Fender style scale length guitars take lower tunings better because you've got a longer scale. Um, typically shorter scale guitars don't take lower tunings as well to me. But there's always exceptions, and this is one of them. So this is a shorter scale guitar, um, but I actually have it tuned down to D, which is a whole step down. But it just took to that tuning like, you know, perfectly. And, and I've always just kept it in that tuning. So it's a nice thing when I'm writing. Sometimes you want a little change. Sometimes you want something to spark a little bit of creativity when something's getting stale. You know, throwing on a capo is good for that messing around with pedals, you know, experimenting with new s sounds is good for that. But another trick is experimenting with different tunings, as I'm sure a lot of people, you know, can attest to. So this one, I've always liked just the sound of a whole step down. And um, this one just took to it really well. Did you use it all on the new record? Uh, I know I used it somewhere. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head you what song. Yeah. I, I know I used it somewhere, and I used it on a couple songs that didn't make the record that'll probably be on record number two. Over the last two and a half years, we actually recorded, uh, I've been talking about this a lot, that this record took two and a half years. It didn't take two and a half years to do 10 songs. We actually cut 30 songs. Um, oh, wow. So we actually have a lot of material that'll be coming you know, later for record two. Probably even record three might even have some remnants of some of the stuff that we started. So... Um, it was a long process and we, and we recorded a lot of tunes. But again, it's just a great tool to have. The other cool thing is when you're doing overdubs, and I know I said to you before, so now I'm gonna sound like a liar. Uh, I said to you before, I like having just one sound. Usually, typically, just one guitar per song. Again, there's always exceptions. And every once in a while, when you're just missing something and you don't quite know what it is, sometimes I'll try, if I've got a rhythm part, let's say, on the left, in standard tuning, I might, on the right, double it with a guitar in a different tuning, but obviously you're still playing the same notes. But just the mm -hmm. fact that you're fingering them differently, you're putting them in a different inversion, you know, um, does help to widen and do a thing to increase that, like, stereo spectrum, you know? So sometimes I'll, I'll use this for an overdub, um, but it's just a mean guitar, man. It's just, it's just a mean guitar. 
I know the, my loose familiarity with uh, with Robert's work is uh, that sometimes he puts in like a, a, a special tone circuit. Did you have that put in, or is that not on your guitar because you're you're so uh, you have your sound and you kind of know what you want when it comes to tone and uh, the volume pots? I mean, all of that is true. Yes. So I mean, Rob does a lot of cool stuff. He's got this thing patented called uh, I think it's called the Unitone thing where there's like a piece of metal that runs under here that the neck is screwed to and the pickups and the bridge. So it's like creates this kind of circle of tone thing, which is pretty rad. Um, that is not on this guitar, but I, I have other guitars of his that, that do feature that. Um, as far as the tone pots and the volume pots, I'm really a traditionalist. I like to keep it simple. I don't like anything fancy in there. I just want regular 500K pots, you know, and old... Uh, tone capacitors and i like to keep it simple you know gotcha passive and well, and and predictable well while why don't you grab uh either your les paul or the firebird and we'll start talking about your amps and while you're doing that i'll ask because i know that you know you don't have any disdain for this instrument but i know that throughout your career you had played uh fenders i've seen you play strats and also fender amps i see the fender reverb tank so it's kind of like with Silvertide being maybe the first point where people recognized you as you were using Marshalls and then you went through this tone voyage trying everything under the sun and now it looks like you've come back to the Gibson Marshall setup. Yes, that is a true observation. So I did, <laughs> I started out, I, I, I had a mentor. I still have this mentor, his name is Steve Johnson. He's a wonderful guy and uh, I got introduced to him when I was young, um, teenager. And when Silvertide signed a record deal, you know, we found ourselves in a unique situation where I, I was young and I had money to buy like real people, grown up things. And um, it came recommended that I talk to Steve so that he would help me like spend my money and put it in the right places, which was absolutely the smart thing to do. So Steve guided me at a young age and introduced me to vintage Marshalls. Ended up, most of the Silver Tide days, I was playing a 71 Super Lead and a 71 Marshall Major. Um, and a variety of vintage, you know, Gibsons and Fenders. And um, he really guided me in my early days of discovering gear and chasing sounds and all that stuff. So um, I feel blessed to have had him in my life at that time, because when you're 16, I think most people's heads are up their asses, you know, and, and <laughs> mine certainly was. So um, thank you, Steve. But uh, over the years, like you said, you said it very well, I went many many journeys around the sun and tried and experimented with a ton of things i do still like fender amps and i this record has more um i've got a fender pro junior that is uh modified with a 10 inch celestian greenback and that little combo it's just a 12 watt combo but it sounds so great for recording you would totally lose it on stage but for recording it's a wonderful wonderful amp and as i was going through um, and talking about some of the gear I used on the record recently, I realized I use that amp a lot more than I thought. It's, it's on a lot of the record, and, and it's a great little amp. But all roads sometimes lead us home. And so about, I don't know how many years ago, um, not too long ago, I was listening to a Live Cream record, Live Cream Volume 1, and the song Sleepy Time Time came on, and I heard Eric Clapton... Um, do the solo of that song and something happened to me it was like 
it hit me in this like physical way. It wasn't just an audio thing. It was like it hit me in a physical way. Like I had to like sit down. It was like so heavy. And I was like, that's the sound. That's the Holy Grail. That's what everybody for the last 50 years has been chasing with every simulation and every pedal and every little thing. It's like trying to get that sound. So like if I have the ability to, luckily this gear is still in existence. Um, it might not be super popular anymore, but it's still out there for the taking. Uh, if I have the opportunity, like why not go back to just get that sound, which is basically a cranked Marshall and a Gibson, you know? And that for me is the, every, everyone has a different holy grail, grail sound. I know it's subjective. For me, that's the sound. And I don't necessarily want to sound like Clapton. I want to sound like me. But I like the idea that that rig provides a very expressive opportunity as a player to shine through in their own way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so, so from that moment on, I sold a bunch of stuff. Um, and then I just decided to go back to the old Gibsons and Marshalls. The Fender uh, tank, which is a good place to start here talking about the rig, the amp rig, this is probably my favorite piece of gear in the entire world. This is a 1965 Fender Tube reverb tank. And when I got hip to this through my friend Eric Coleman, a.k.a. Tones Chaser, it changed my entire life. Not only is it the best sounding spring reverb in the world, there's nothing in the world that gets close. No pedal gets close to what that does. Not only that, but there is a slight tone enhancement. I'm not going to say it's as drastic as an EP3, which a lot of guys use as a preamp, as like, you know, a nice little sweetener on the rig. I don't think it's that drastic, but it, it does something. And when it's missing from my rig, I get really sad. <laughs> so <laughs> it's become my carry-on. Back in the day when people used to fly on airplanes, um, that would be what I would take on the plane as my carry-on. So I've taken it all around the world for the last six years, seven years. I've never done one show, one performance without it. And um, it's set, you know, it's, it's not set for stun, for like surf music. It's just set as like a nice little splash. But it does a thing and it helps like fill in the holes and um, I just love it. So no matter what amp I'm playing, whether it's a little combo amp, a Marshall combo, a Fender combo, or the big Marshall stacks, I'm always going into that tank and that is a not so secret weapon of mine. <laughs> um, as far as amp wise goes, um, I went back just thinking about like, again, my favorite, my favorite tones my, and, and a lot of it went back to um, Clapton and again knowing my experience with the super lead I was always fighting the brightness of that of that amp and I think I used to run my treble on zero you know and it was still bright so after doing some research I just decided you know what I'm gonna try this JTM 45 thing which is supposedly a darker amp and it's tube rectified and it's spongier and um, I plugged into one and I was like this is it there's not one bad sound you can get out of a JTM 45. It's incapable, at least mine, are incapable of being too bright, which is such a wonderful thing. Um, it's just a really sweet, sweet sounding overdrive. And they're both non-master volumes. So I, I'm getting the tone from that thing, which is critically important for people who w are wondering. And this is go goes the same, even if you have a small combo. 
you got to get the power tubes working. It's not the preamp tubes. It's the power tubes. All those sweet classic tones that we all love, they come from the amps being really loud and, and working. You know, you just can't. I would much rather play a 10-watt amp on 9 or 10 than a 100-watt amp on 1 because the 100-watt amp on 1 is just straight up not even awake yet, you know? Yeah. So it's a super important part. And people ask me, well, how do I tame that if I'm playing a small club? How can I play an amp like that with no master volume on 9? And the answer is, thank goodness, they do make attenuators. I've got a passive attenuator called the Dr. Z Brake Light. Um, that I travel with, I don't always use it. And if I don't have to use it, I don't use it. But for certain smaller club gigs, when you would just literally obliter obliterate the audience, it's a really great thing because it allows you to keep your amp really hot and then just, you know, take a notch or two down just so you're not killing the people in the front row. But the, the sound... Nick, are you a... Oh, ahead. I was going to say, are you as big a geek about amps as you are guitars? Do you go in and you, do you have preferred caps and uh you know uh things that you use for that or or certain tubes when it comes to to the amps or is it more you're more hands-off uh i am for tubes which is kind of the extent of what i guess your average person could do to an amp without it having to be serviced i don't want to be electrocuted and uh i'm not the guy to go in there and start soldering in, in, inside <laughs> an amp so that stuff i default to my techs i've got great techs who work on amps and um and I leave that to them. As far as caps and all that stuff, I leave it to them. Um, but tubes, yeah, I'm super into tubes. And you know, I try to do as many NOS tubes as I can afford. They're obviously really expensive. And I play a lot, and I play loud. So I go through tubes probably more than the average person. Um, I assume 34s, EL34s, or are the KTs? Well, for the JTM45, to get the classic thing, it's KT66. It's the big glass. So that, okay. that's critically important for that amp. Uh, I mean, you can run other things, but for like the classic thing, it's definitely the KT66. Um, and both of these amps are JTM45s. The small box one, make sure you guys can still hear me. The small box one it was the first JTM45 reissue, I believe, ever, which was 1989. So um, that's already quite a while ago. The one, yeah. the one underneath, um, is a more recent, but they don't make them anymore, unfortunately. But some at some point in the mid, in the in the 2000s, they reissued a hand wired JTM 45, um, which is essentially the Blues Breaker amp combo amp in a head with tremolo and all. Now I yanked the tube that does the tremolo. I'm not the biggest fan of the sound of that tremolo, so I just yanked the tube and I don't use it. I have a tremolo pedal which I use um, when I need tremolo. But uh, it's just, a, again, it's just a great sounding amp, and there's not a bad sound in there, man. And uh, two questions quick, because I know that you're a, a, a also a tone tweaker when it comes to cabs and speakers. Are you running both amps at the same time, or is one more of a backup in your blend, or are you blending them? And then also, what currently do you have in the cab? Because I know that you've had cream backs with the ceramics, are the greenbacks, but now I think you're using Celestian Blues with the Anikos. Yeah, Alan man, I got, I got a good story for you. So, well, just to answer the first question, I use one, one head at a time. Um, they both sound fantastic. The top one is actually owned by my tech, Doc. Uh, we call him Doc. His name's Andrew Carbine. He, um, he, he owns the top one, and I borrow that quite often as a backup. Um, my 
mine is the bottom one, which I typically use as the A amp. But again, they're, they're okay. both so good. And I've done gigs with the top one as the main amp and have been perfectly happy. They're, they're both so good. Um, but it is always nice, especially with old, older gear, tube gear. I mean, I always, as a rule of thumb, when I'm on the road or even just playing a show, you know, we're playing a show next week. And it's like, I always try to go to the gig with a backup of everything. And I mean everything. You know, if, I'm, if I've got a cable going into my board, a, co a coil cable, I'm bringing two. I'm bringing two cables that go out. I'm bringing two reverb tank cables. I'm bringing two heads. I'm bringing two of as many things as I can just because of Murphy's Law. And yeah. nine out of ten times, knock wood, you don't need it. But when you need it and you don't have it, you know, that's, that's a problem. So we try to avoid that. As far as the cab, for years and years and years, I was a greenback guy. I still am a greenback guy. I love greenbacks when they're broken in. I think greenbacks are among you know, the best-sounding speakers in the world. That being said, Doc, again, uh, said to me, hey, man, I think you need to hear this. Uh, what would you say if I told you I put together a Marshall cab with four Celestian Blues? And I'd say, you're out of your freaking mind. <laughs> you know, like the, in my mind, the only thing I could equate to that was like an AC30, like, you know, with the two Blues. I'd never heard of anybody doing four Blues and through a Marshall. In my mind, it's a very Vox thing. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But that's how I associate the Celestian Blue. He's like, dude, you just got to try it. So I, you know, plugged into the cab, hit like a couple notes, and had a total spiritual experience. It is something magical happens uh, with the compression and the high end. Again, you would think there's maybe more high end, but because the amp is darker, Again, how we're talking about earlier, there's a balance that's happening with every ingredient, you know, in the chain. If you get the balance right, it's like, it's magic. So there's, there's a, it's not too bright, but there's this mid-range thing and a compression thing. And I'm super into compression. I know some guys don't like it. I love it. I mean, I don't want my sound to be squashed and, and undynamic by any means, but I do like the bloom when you hit a note and then you've got like, you get a little bit of give and then there's some bloom. I think that's special. And this rig makes you play different, you know? Like, you can't get in front of this rig and just like, I mean, I don't know, maybe some people can, but I can't just start shredding. And, and I wouldn't want to anyway, that's not the kind of player I am. Um, but it keeps you real honest and it keeps you simple because there's, I don't wanna say there's lag in it, but there's like, it makes you feel every note and wanna play a little less and feel a little more. And I love that. And that's become, you know, part of my way, I guess you could say. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into your pedal board after kind of getting the, the work done on the amps and the, the guitars. I, I'd love to hear what you're working with your pedal board and get a, a tone taste of everything. Sure. Uh, again, it's a pretty Spartan setup, I guess you would say. Um, this is actually the most I've had on my board in quite a, in quite a while, but... Um, it's a simple, it's an analog experience, minus the tuner. Um, but I go into, the first pedal is a fuzz face. This is a 1968 Ivor fuzz face uh, made and modified by Dustin Francis. It's a BC-183. And for people who have heard the tune Feeling Good, uh, formerly called Whole Lot of Money, you know, a lot of people have asked about that tone. 
it's this it's this sound. It's a, it's just the most amazing fuzz face. And as far as fuzz faces go, I have a whole bunch of them. You know, there's a rumor, uh, and I'll say rumor because I don't believe it's true fully that that they're really hard to use. And I think the key to unlocking that, and so much, the key to unlocking so much of the mysteries of the universe, is volume. When you are loud, like this pedal, this fuzz face sounds nothing like uh, through a small amp quietly. Sounds nothing like what it does through this amp. Uh, when it's up at full volume, there's nothing about it that's unusable or unfriendly. It's just awesome. And uh, it sounds like this. Now, Nick, that sounds monstrous, and it has a, a snarl and bite that is delicious. I'm curious, have you tried other variations of the fuzz face and other germanium, germanium chips? Because, you know, different variations of the fuzz face, the clones, and the availability of these chips uh, all fluctuate based on design and stuff. Have you, have you tried around in all those? And Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. I've probably owned, you know, 20 to 30 fuzz face pedals or variants of. I probably own maybe two or three now. I've pretty much narrowed down to what I like. And as far as on the silicon side, it's it's BC-183. Uh, on the germanium side, they're extremely hard to get and expensive now, but it's the NKT-275. Um, okay. And I, I love the sound of that uh, transistor. Uh, the reason why I don't have a germanium fuzz on the board, I have another germanium pedal I'll talk about in a minute, but the reason why I don't have a germanium fuzz is just because if I can only have room on the board, which I do, for one fuzz face, because they're freaking huge, um, it has to be silicon because, you know, for the amount that I play, I mean, not right now with the pandemic, but for the amount I was touring and playing outdoor venues, the germanium thing, the sensitivity to the heat is a real thing. It's not a myth. I've been at the gig with my vintage fuzz face and hit a note and just, you know, watched as basically my amp just made fart sounds, you know, like <laughs> it's, it's a real thing. So for consistency, you cannot beat the silicon uh, reliability and consistency. But I do love the germanium fuzz face sound. It's on the record. It's something I use in the studio a, a lot. And I do tour with one, and when the weather is nice or I'm indoors, I will typically sit a germanium one right next to this on the floor, and um, so I can have both flavors. Gotcha. And um, how do you power it? Because I know that's another thing you brought up, Eric Johnson earlier, that people will say all batteries, uh, baby. Pedals and and the battery. All batteries. <laughs> uh, um, I, I have a multimeter, a battery tester. We test all the batteries, my tech and I, before. We go on stage, um, Kevin Husby and I, we, uh, we just, we test, you know, I, I want the range of the battery to be in a certain place so that the bias of the pedals in a certain place, I'm as geeky as you can get for it. But, you know, it's not without reason. If, if you have a sound and, and you dig the sound and, and you know what you want, then I think it's worth the time, you know? Carbon now zinc, feeling sorry, carbon zinc well, batteries always. 
Oh, okay. And with feeling good since you played that lick, now that song kind of has that in the verses. Do you really open it up on the solo, or and it's so it's basically on the whole song, or or is you kicking on something else in the solo to really take it off? Well, typically, I mean, as people will digest the record, typically. I am mostly an amp and a guitar guy. I, I'll use a fuzz face or a fuzz style pedal uh, every once in a while as a color, you know? That song is the exception. From the moment that the song starts, it's that sound through the entire song. It's like, it was so good, you just, you can't take it off because then you're like, you get sad. <laughs> it's feeling good. Yeah, you're feeling good. I want that thing on the whole damn time. So, uh, so it's on the whole time and when you get to the solo, uh, it is nothing changes. It's just on the whole time. There is a little bit of delay that was added in mixing. Uh, Mark DeSisto, who mixed the song, did a fantastic job. He added a, a little bit of delay that kind of happens in the left ear or the right ear. Um, it's real far away, but he added that as just something to add a little bit more ambience to it. Uh, but I think what makes you feel like it gets a boost is because literally all the other instruments drop out and it's just drums and guitar. So it almost feels like it lifts and it may just be because everything else goes away. But it's, it's just that same pedal on 10. Uh, well, the volume is on 10. I typically run all my fuzzes at noon. I'm only using half of the fuzzes gain capacity because the amp is already pretty hot, you know? And that's another thing. These pedals sound different into a clean amp. It would not sound like that into a clean amp. Your amp has to be, you know, working. Cooking, yeah. So what, what's next up after the fuzz face? What's next is a germanium boost pedal, um, and this is made by Texadelphia Guitar Company, uh, my friend Neil, and this is, you know, just something that he came up with, I think, as to see if he could do it, uh, as he explained it to me, which was basically take the idea of a treble booster and um, lose the idea about cutting all these frequencies and basically just make a full, a full frequency germanium booster which to me is something that i've actually been which is why we hooked up on this uh i've been looking for for a long time because i love the sound of germanium like we're talking about with the fuzz pedals i love with the you know it cleans up with the volume knob it has a certain squish but a fuzz face is definitely just a huge wall a ton of low end it's 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 a sound that you don't want all the time you know you want it sometimes not all the time so what I was looking for was a way, if it was possible, to boost my amp with a germanium vibe, but not have it be uh, notched out like a range master or a, a treble booster would do, right? So mm -hmm. this is what he came up with, and it's a germanium full frequency boost, and it's just awesome. It's probably the most sustained of any pedal I've ever heard. It's just outrageous. <laughs> Now, is that more of like a, a, a solo pedal or is it on like all the time? Kind of like a, you know, other than maybe when songs are quieter or, or lower in volume, is that like an always on pedal? It's definitely just for a solo or a, a moment where you want to say like, here I am. <laughs> it's loud. 
it's it pushes the amp over you know just the right amount over the cliff to get that sustain that you might want for a soaring lead or something like that um definitely not always on i mean but the cool thing is um again with that style of thing you know you can back down your volume and it's a really glassy nice cleanup like a fuzz face <laughs> In that context, it could be on all the time. So you, yeah, in theory, you could leave it on all the time and just work your volume. But for me, most of the time, it's the amp that I'm working volume-wise, gain-wise, and I'm going to step on that again when I want to be it, heard. It, it's funny. It's like, it's like uh, when you dial back the volume, it's like a, a really intentional handshake, but when you had that volume on your guitar to 10, it's like a punch in the face. The oh. attitude's there. <laughs> Man, you're good with the metaphors today, dude. Digging it. <laughs> It's the coffee. <laughs> All right. Save What's me some. What's next on the board? Uh, next on the board is a Univibe. I've always been a Vibe guy um, as far as my modulation of choice. Typically, uh, I mean, there's a lot of great modulation out there, but if I only could pick one, which I, I, I'd like to have the least amount of pedals on my board as possible. I guess I should have started with that, but my goal is can I plug into the least amount of things possible to get the sounds I need to do my show or to, to do what I'm doing, you know? Um, I just want, if it was up to me and I could just go straight into the amp all the time, I would. But in truth, I do love pedals and I love getting sounds. But for me, it's what, what can I get away with the least amount of stuff? So if I'm only going to put one modulation on the board, it's going to be a, a Univibe. And this one is made by, uh, this is called the Sir Henry Vibe, um, made by Dustin Sears from Austin, Texas. And... To, in, to my knowledge, and I have opened it up. I mean, it is a real Univibe. There's nothing that's, you know, changed. It wasn't made more user-friendly or smaller. It's just like a real Univibe just being made today. It's still a big box. The only feature I think he did add is that it has an A-B switch to where you can preset two different speeds, which is really cool and really handy so that you could have your kind of slower, washier speed. <laughs> and toggle between them which i think is real nice man that's that's real dreamy the slow one's real dreamy now is that something that might have been used on everybody wants one? Oh yeah this is all over the record it's on excess it's on um everybody wants one for sure in the breakdown i've got three different guitar tracks of this going which is pretty cool um all at different speeds trying to get as far out as possible yeah it's all over the record I, I i use vibe a ton so i'm definitely a vibe i'm i'm into vibe man it gives like everything such movement even if it's just a sparse note or, or some you know cowboy chords it gives everything such movement it does and it's and it's three-dimensional and i don't find that it's um i don't get sick of it the way like you know i think you can overuse Flanger, for sure. I think you can overuse phaser evenly uh, as well. Excuse me. But uh, for whatever reason, I don't get sick of the vibe. Maybe because it is, the way it modulates is not even, you know? It has, like, its own weird warble to it. So, like, sometimes it's up here, sometimes it's down there. And, like, depending on what you're playing, it can sound completely different. Like, when I do, in, in excess, I doubled the main riff, 
with vibe on either side. And what, what's really cool is that the vibe is vibing. How many times am I, am I going to say that today? <laughs> uh, get a count going. So, uh, so it's vibing in different places within the phrasing of, of the riff. So what happens is the stereo image gets even bigger, you know? So it's just a beautiful thing. I'm into it. Man, I, it, it's, it's delicious, especially when you, you have like, like we're using headphones today. It's like, it's, if it wasn't a, having an a exhilarating conversation with you about tone, it would, it would put me back to sleep. <laughs> so, so what's next on the board after the vibe? Okay, next is a, a recent acquisition for me. This is called the Super Boost by uh, Metropolis. George Metropolis, who I've met in passing, was a real, real nice guy. Um, I believe he is an amplifier manufacturer as well. And um, this is something that came recommended to me from my friend, Owen Barry. And I really like it. I'm still in the getting to know you phase. <laughs> but the idea was that when I was talking with Neil, because when I got the Germanium Boost, I pretty much said like, okay, I'm good. I don't need anything else ever. Um, but in a conversation with him, he's like, just to let you know, it's not going to be as drastically sensitive as a fuzz face. But if you're in a hot environment or you're on stage in the sun, you know, you're going to have a problem. And when he said that, I was like, okay, I need to get another boost on the board that won't be temperature sensitive. Um, and so this is going to be that boost. And the other thing is the germanium one, even though it's a full frequency boost, it does have it, it's it's bombastic so it does have a more explosive thing there's a little bit of noise that comes with it it's not quite as clean as what we would probably call a clean boost so mm -hmm. the super boost is kind of taking the role of being a clean boost that's tweakable so that when i want my amp sound exactly the way i want my amp sound but just a little bit more of it that's what i am doing with the super boost so um I'm still, like I said, getting to know it. Probably what I'm going to end up doing is just experimenting with the EQ. I like the idea if I was going to boost the signal of my amp, I'd maybe want to take a little bit of low end out, um, you know, because it's just not needed. You know, I think that low end belongs with the kick drum and the, uh, and the bass guitar. But when we're alone in our bedrooms or wherever we are, we like to hear all this low end. And then you get with a band and it just sounds terrible. It's like, you don't need all that, man. The guitarist needs to be in the mid range. And all that low end just gets muddy. So I'm, I'm aware of that. And typically, you know, like the bass on that amp that I'm playing right now is down on two, you know. And, and even now, it's, it's got low end, you know. But um, when I'm with the band, I'll kill it. I'll, I'll turn it on zero because I, you, I just don't need it, you know. Can we hear A and B uh, like on and off? You can. I'm just going to set all the controls to noon um, for now. And... Um, it's a it's a great sounding pedal. I forgot to say it's running at high voltage, and I like the idea of pedals that run at high voltage. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head what it's kicking it up to, but but it is running, um, I believe, close to plate voltage. So it's it's definitely um, becoming a part of the amp, you know, like an additional tube preamp kind of thing.
definitely got a. It's fun to play. It's got a little punch. <laughs> Did it? I know that uh, as a as a pedalboard peaker, I like to call myself as though you're not supposed to give yourself nicknames. Um, I know that at one point you had a clon. Is that been replaced by this, or is it you know been moved for other reasons? I love the clon. I'm a huge clon fan. I know there's people who don't believe in the myth and people who do. I'm telling you, it's real. I love the clon. The clon is on the on the record quite a bit. Um, but I, again, when I was selling some stuff to pay for studio time, the clon was on the list that got cut. Um, it's a great, great sounding pedal. Um, but I don't think I'm particularly missing it with the selection I've got here at the moment. But I am a big fan. I'm a big fan gotcha. of the clon. Yeah, love I it. I feel bad because I keep bringing up all these pieces of gear that you've had, and it's always gone towards the cause of the no, man, look, music. No, I, I am, number one, and not to get philosophical, but number one, I'm just in a phase in my life where, you know, I, I try not to get too sentimentally attached to anything. I mean, the truth is we can't take this stuff with us. So we're here for a short time. We're hopefully enjoying the experience of being here. And um, I try not to get too attached to anything. Um, as far as gear goes, man, gear comes and goes. And as a musician who's been a working musician my entire adult life, my teenage years, you know, there's been times where it's feast or famine. And when you make money, you buy gear. And when you need money, you sell gear. And it's just the way it goes. And I'm not bent about it. I'm not sad about it. It's just a part of it. And to be honest, I'd do it again tomorrow. I made the record of my dreams I've been waiting 20 years to make. So I've got no regrets whatsoever and um, don't feel bad at all. I, I dig the positivity and attitude. It, it takes a little guilt off my shoulders. <laughs> you should have no guilt, man. I'm not suffering. I'm not suffering, man. I got, I've got uh, more than I need right here. So Awesome. Well, I, I know there's got to be a delay, and I bet it's an analog delay. So what's, what's on the board? Yes, sir. This is my personal favorite analog delay of all time. It is the Maxon AD999. To me, it is just magical. I mean, there's a lot of great ones out there, and I'm an analog delay freak. I, I own quite a few. I've played almost all of them. Um, of course, I love vintage tape delays and all that as well, but I always, even, you know, I, I've, a friend of mine let me borrow a, uh, a tube tape echo. It's sitting across the room right here. I love it, but... I'm coming back to this one. <laughs> I don't know why. There's something about the bounce. There's a certain bounce to this delay. I've never heard any other delay pedal do it quite the same way, but it's hypnotic. And um, as you heard in the intro piece, you know, it does have a thing. And I, oftentimes I'll use it as a rhythmic thing that I play to. And with the vibe. Also never gets in the way of the note which I love the transient is always in place and it's like here's a little extra you know and I <laughs> I, I love that right on is there uh, anything else on your board that you want to talk about yeah well real briefly I know the tuners aren't that sexy but as far as tuners go this is the Peterson strobe I love it I'm all about strobe tuners the older I get my ears I guess maybe just get more uh, tuned in but being out of tune bothers me so I find as far as accuracy, that gets me as close as I've ever gotten. Um, I really love it. And out of the delay, the last pedal to talk about would be the tremolo, which is a, um, 
made in the UK, um, a company called Hampstead uh, Soundworks. And this is called the Signature Analog Tremlo. And it just does, it's 100% analog, it just does some incredible... Just really musical, really beautiful tremolo. I've got an old Ampeg here that's got the best built-in tremolo I've ever heard, and I A beat it, this pedal versus that amp's tremolo, and I mean, it is so there. I don't know how they did it, but it's, it's pretty magical. Now, do you have a choice of changing the, I guess, the waveform? Because, you know, some pedals have uh, the sawtooth, which is more like Vox, or is there more of a, 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 a Fender thing? What's, what's its flavor? Um, there is three uh, potential options. Um, I guess, you know, you can make it more square. Uh, I think they have a triangle option as well. Right now I've got it set to what they call the classic, which I guess is more a, a classic brown face um, style fender trim. Um, but it's, it's just great. And like I said, I like having the ability to have it on and off right here at my foot. I know that my amp has it. I'm not the biggest fan of that specific tremolo, but this one is great. It's there when I need it. It's running at high voltage. Um, and again, it's another one of those pedals that I just think um, becomes a part of the amp. And I, I have it last, you know, reverb and tremolo last. And I know a lot of people ask, but yeah, the reverb is in front of the amp. Um, I don't have effects loops in my amps and I run the reverb in front. And when I'm hitting it with a gain pedal or a fuzz face, yeah, it does get louder. And people ask, does it bother me? And the answer is no. I'm like, you know, more is more. Let's go. Let's party. <laughs> I love it. And on the sidebar, every time you reference high voltage, I just keep hearing Bon Scott in my head. So that's... <laughs> bon is the man, so man. Like, it's a win-win, like you're saying, more is more. Man, I've got to hear the record. It's phenomenal. People should check it out. This will come out after the record comes out on the 14th of August. What you want people to know, not only to check out your music, I know that you, th I think you've got some shows or live stuff coming up with the Struts. Yeah, we're doing, I mean, again, it, well, first of all, thank you for the kind words. Um, we're going to be carrying forward, you know, as best as we can and moving forward in any way that we can. So uh, we're going to be doing more live stream events. Uh, we're doing one the day the album is released. Again, this might already be after that, but um, we're doing some drive-in shows, and I think we're just going to see how that goes. We're opening for a UK-based band called The Struts. They're dear friends of mine um, and love those guys, and uh, we're going to see how that goes. I mean, when I was a kid, I would go to the drive-in theater with my parents. I think, you know, the last time I was probably five and I saw 101 Dalmatians or something, but uh, I, I like the idea of it and, and I think it's cool. You know, um, I think that that may be at this moment in time a way forward. And I definitely think that live streaming is going to be, you know, a thing that continues. We're partnering for that show with a company called Nugs TV and the Ardmore Music Hall. So it's going to be like a multi camera, full stage production, full band. Um, you know, so I think the ability to do that and not just be home from your basement um, is something that is cool and I'd like to do more of. Because I'm always doing stuff from here. I'm always doing, 
you know, live streams. I'm doing stuff for radio stations every day. I do promo stuff. And being down here is cool, but I think there's only so much of it that personally I want to do and that I think that people would want. I, I think the, uh, the ability to get the full experience of a show is really what people miss. It's what I miss. And so however we can do that in this moment in time, I think we're going to try to do that, you know? Well, I think the best way for people to check out that stuff and to keep a tab on what you're doing, whether it's on stage or online, would probably be go to your socials, right? Yeah, Nick Perry Music, and, and Perry is with an I. Um, Nick Perry Music will lead you to all that stuff, but I'm very active on Instagram, Facebook, and um, I'm easy to find. So I'm always doing my thing and, and uh, trying to put good vibes out there. Awesome, Nick. Again, thank you for the positivity. Thank you for the new record. People, people are going to dig it. And uh, thanks for flying the guitar flag. It's, it's good to hear some rock and roll. Well, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of you, of the show, of the channel, of the magazine. You know, I've been a subscriber since I can't even remember. So thank you for having me. It's a real, real, real nice treat. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Well, thank you again. Everyone out there, stay safe. Keep rocking. We'll talk next time.